Welcome to an episode of EM Forecast with me, your host, Crystal Higgins. Today, I spoke with Naomi Waisel from Polar Capital on China's future role in emerging market funds. And I started off by asking her about her view on the future regulatory reset in China, following on from an unprecedented year of crackdowns across different sectors. I think this was certainly a conversation that dominated a lot of 2021 and the the depth and breadth of the the regulatory reset, while it's something that we've seen in in prior years, in in 2015, 2018, um, uh, an axe was taken in a a far more draconian fashion and to to more sectors last year, Um, perhaps for a couple of reasons. um, There was a more um, coordinated growth backdrop last year and um, uh, an opportunity, a window of opportunity to um, to, to reset the stage, if you like, before the, the kind of election year in a Chinese sense this year in 2022. So it was a more, much more broad brush approach. And the, the, the constant trickling on of it into this year has, has led people to, to ask questions about, are we done yet? And, and when will this reset? I think our view is that the, the vast majority of this crackdown is now um, at an end. Um, but that does not mean it's it's over. I think we will continue to see smaller adjustments, but they won't be on the scale of, of what we have seen in, in 2022. I think there have been a, a couple of key policy meetings now that have shown that the agenda has shifted from that regulatory focus now to one of more stabilising growth, supporting the consumer, um, helping that consumption to come back um, and underscoring a, a 5% growth rate for the, the economy this year. So there have been um, a number of, uh, of, of additional tinkerings, but nothing that is um, as, as deep or um, uh, as painful. So it is providing a little bit of, of confidence back into markets in certain sectors, although we are still going through um, earnings season on the market um, and we're seeing quite big earnings revisions still, still coming through. So we're not quite there yet in terms of having full confidence restored and um, all uh, valuations um, bottoming, where we'll see uh, investors coming back. Um, but there is now highly discounted valuations and an opportunity coming into the second half where we should see a better environment um, for the Chinese market overall. That's very interesting. And I see um, in, the, in the fund that you manage, um, you have a 25% China allocation in China, which is slightly underrated. What are the reasons for that? And, and, and is that set to change this year? Yeah, so we are underweight China and we have been for, for quite some time. Um, the, the 5% underweight that we have at the moment is in the context that we have begun to, to add back in a very select way um, to, to China um, from what, what we did in the, the back end of, of 2020. So going back a little while now, coming into 2021, and if you remember, this is a time when um, we had not only the, the vaccine announcement in November then, um, we oh, also had really peak valuations in, in some of the internet and digital um, sectors in China. Um, and uh, that went along with the, the beginning of that regulatory reset and um, Jack Ma uh, being wrapped over the muckles and, and going missing before the anti-PO was pulled. All of that was sort of frothing up together. And we, we took quite a lot of money off the table in China at that point and our peak underweight um, was, a, was just shy of 9% versus the benchmark in China. Um, and remembering that China is a really large part of our universe. Uh, mm. And 
we're looking to find the best stocks in emerging markets across a, a broad universe. So when China is, is a third or more of that, I think it peaked at just over 40% um, at the peak, um, and it's come back down again now, um, we are likely to be able to find better ideas when, when we're looking from a, a bottom-up stock perspective. So we have added back to get to that 5% um, underweight from a 9% underweight into mm -hmm. specific areas. And to give you the framework that we use for those specific areas, we see China now having shifted from in the very early days of emerging markets in the early 2000s, when China first joined the WTO, the World Trade Organization, it was all about the sort of heavy industry, um, energy, transportation types of sectors, all about global trade. Um, and, and that was a rising tide lifted all boats environment. Then 10 years later in 2021 and the rise of um, Tencent and WeChat, that was all about the digital economy. And that's what we really, really saw, saw over the last 10 years and also what's really suffering now. And so now we think the change and where we're investing going forward in this sort of third wave of Chinese um, growth mm. is into different areas of innovation. And that's, that's sort of what we call inclusion. And that means inclusion of, of more consumers from the, the bottom end uh, of society, um, inclusion of, of more areas of, of new innovation. Um, and we can talk a bit about those. Um, and, I was and going to ask you about that, actually. Sorry, I'm sorry to cut over you. Please, I, I, I know I, I'm interested in the, like, this idea of you've touched on this of, you know, new areas of growth within China. And I'm just wondering if you could go into that a little bit more. Yeah, so I think part of those are along um, uh, along the lines of what the, the government is trying to do in terms of um, pivoting the economy to um, to to drive uh, better consumption and to to make it less reliant on the old types of industry. So we see growth um, in line with our, our ESG framework. So we are a highly sustainable fund, um, and that will be from from new types of of manufacturing. So things like um, solar inverters we're exposed to or industrial robotics we're exposed to um, or on the consumer side, um, things like elderly care um, or um, things like um, uh, healthcare uh, across the spectrum. Um, it, we also uh, are, are not ruling out um, and certainly not writing off some of the digital giants which will remain relevant they are now trading at, at very attractive valuations and selectively these will continue to participate and play a large role in society more and more from a social perspective um, as well as a, an innovation and, and digital growth perspective. That's so interesting and I'm curious you know being an emerging markets fund manager just looking back at last year um, you know from professional and personal what was it like to watch such a bludgeoned regulatory um approach and 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 how how did you see that coming and what was it like to work through strategically yes yeah, so i think as i mentioned we 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 did see the um the first part of that um more uh, in all honesty from a valuation point of view we saw that as as looking very toppy and and took some money out uh, of key names there particularly names that were um, in, in the pre-profit area. Um, so, so those names exited the fund um, at the end of 2020 or just before the end of 2020. Um, what we didn't think was that this would be so sustained. 
um, and, um, and, and go on for so long in, in all honesty. Um, so what it does show, I think, um, in a positive light is the government's um, comprehensive commitment to, um, to a more sustainable future. So they've understood that, you know, inequality comes at a, a price of, of growth and they want to involve more of that left behind lower income middle class and really get them to, um, to move up the wealth scale and be part of driving their next leg of growth. So I think opportunities come with that and those are the types of opportunities that we're now starting to look for. Uh, but it's a balanced approach as ever with China. They, they change what they target from year to year. Um, and, and this year they're prepared to um, dial back a little bit on how fast they're going on their decarbonization agenda. So they're looking at um, their, their targets are for peak carbon in 2030 and then net zero by 2060, but they're allowing companies to do that a little bit slower so that they can maintain growth. So it's always a balance between this social agenda, which we're very positive on, um, including more people, but allowing growth to be maintained as well. And bearing all that in mind, do you see the role that China will play in, you know, um, emerging market funds over the next 10 years to look quite different to what they look like today? So I think this is a, um, it's a question that's increasingly being asked because China um, sometimes externally looks like a, a wealthy, high-tech country, um, but we have to bear in mind that on a per capita basis, it is still uh, a low-income society, and it is still very much an emerging economy, particularly when we look at certain institutional indices um, and the, the way it operates in a market's perspective. Um, and what it brings to a full emerging market universe is um, a, a huge pool of liquidity, um, a huge amount of, of technology, um, you know, a, a large diversifying um, country and, and a lot of resources as well. So, uh, you know, it's, it's 30 to 40%, depending on, on how many of the A shares are included of emerging markets. And I do believe, you know, that is a, an asset to the emerging market asset class. We're obviously aware that um, clients and, um, and industry participants are increasingly asking about ex-China, um, for some who may want to have a, a specific ring fencing of um, geopolitical or regulatory risk or, or manage China separately from, from, um, uh, from ex-China. Um, and there, there could well be a place for that. So we, we seriously consider um, that type of thought. Um, but the, the overarching um, belief is that China uh, has a, a strong role to play within emerging markets uh, going forward. And I think that's a good note to end things on. So uh, Naomi Waitle, thank you very much.